Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for making that way. Thank you for coming and uh, for making yourself like us, for bringing yourself down to us, to, uh, as God of the universe, yet to be uh, one of us, to save all of us uh, who would turn to you and accept your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I ask that you that your words be in mind today. In Jesus' name. I'll try not to go over. <laughs> no, I'm checking it because I'm checking it because at four o'clock I'm supposed to take the medicine. Oh, okay. It's kind of funny. I originally was going to title this message, It's Not About You. And Linda said, well, didn't you already do that? Well, I, I don't think so, but I'll check. Well, it wasn't just last week, but it uh, wasn't that long ago. It was at the end of uh, 2015, about October 2015. Yeah, even called it the same thing, even used the same passage. Uh, I guess I needed a little humbling. <laughs> but when I looked to see what I had done before, I discovered that this was actually a completely different message. So, okay, what that tells me is just how deep the scripture is. Yeah. That you can read the same thing and, and uh, discover something completely different that you didn't see the first time or even the 50th, 50th time that you read it. God's word is alive. You probably heard quite a few times the story, uh, the joke about the little boy named Jose, who went to his first baseball game, and he was—they they didn't have much money, so they were way up in the top of the stands, and when. He got back from the game. They asked him, well, did you enjoy the game? He said, oh, yeah, the people were great. Everybody uh, was so uh, happy to see me. They even sung to me. Sung to you? Well, what did they sing? They sang, well, Jose, can you see? <laughs> but the, the point of that is that's how we think naturally. That's how kids think. The whole world revolves around him. If, if, if they don't understand, if he didn't understand what they were saying, but it sounded like Jose to him, he must be saying, "Jose, can you see?" And that's just a, that's just a, a, a joke, but it illustrates how we think until we're taught otherwise. In adults, when we grow up, we're supposed to have learned that lesson. But some never quite get over that self-centered approach to life. Just ask, just look at any politician you care to name. Most of us learn how to control it, but God wants us to destroy it. Because you see, it's a heart issue. What motivates us 
lot of times what we see is what I call good deeds gone bad. And the, the what happens when we do things that on their face are good, but the motivations are not good. You see that, of course, you know, we're all familiar with, that, with how the Pharisees did that. That's everybody's favorite whipping boy. We like to pick on the Pharisees. But they're not so different than what we see today. Another thing that we see a lot of times is what I would call selfish charity. It's charity that isn't actually meant primarily to do the, the recipient any, any good. What it's really designed to do is to make the person doing it feel good about themselves. Disabled people get this a lot. I've had people, and I know practically anybody that in this room that has uh, that has any kind of obvious challenge has probably seen the same thing. I've had people just insist that they knew what I needed better than I did. I have had somebody literally try to drag me across the street in the direction I didn't want to go. <laughs> and, you know, maybe they meant well. But the problem is, they didn't, they were more concerned about what they thought needed to happen than actually talking to me and finding out what needed to happen. Because, see, it wasn't really about me. It was about them doing something good. Our motivation, the best motivation that we can have is love. A love for God, which then flows out and becomes a love for others. Jesus showed us that in His example of how He lived on this earth. Let's go to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Oh, can we just, um, Ms. Fox needs the address. What book are you reading? Oh, I'm so sorry. It's, it's Philippians chapter 2. I started in verse 3. yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. starts out here with the emphasis on motivation. New American Standard, which is the, the version I typically read from, uh, says don't act out of, don't do anything out of selfishness. Some say rivalry, some say uh, selfish ambition. When you look this word up, it's a word that doesn't appear anywhere else uh, in fact, the only place that is found in contemporary literature of the time uh, is in the writings of Aristotle. And the, the definition of the word is, is electioneering or intriguing for the purpose of, of gaining political office. It was used by Aristotle, Aristotle to... Uh, uh, refer to devious office seekers, particularly. So, Paul is, is making a, a reference here to somebody who's constantly scheming for their own benefit. And it's destructive. The same word appears, I say it's the only place, there's actually a couple of other places where where it appears, one of them is in the book of James, uh, chapter 3, verses 16. And uh, we, we don't have it up on the screen. I'll just read what it says. It says, uh, For where jealousy and selfish ambition, that's our word, exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And unfortunately, it's all too common in church. We would like to think, I'm sure, that, that we're immune after all. There's not a whole lot to be gained here, right? We're uh, a small, humble little congregation. But we have to guard against it because, again, it's the attitude of the heart. Mm -hmm. And we have to guard against, and I am speaking to myself as much as anybody, we have to guard against that craving for recognition, for taking the glory that belongs to God. Yes. We can get to a point where we're, we're even proud of, of, of how little we got because somehow that makes us special and makes us holy. Right. But what we ought to always remember is the source of our identity. And what happens if we grow? What happens if there becomes uh, a little mortified over? Do our real motivations come out or do we stay grounded? We stay grounded in our true source. See, it is my hope. It is my certainty, in fact, that God is not done here. That blessings are going to come. And we want to be ready in our hearts to receive them. 
he says, don't do things out of out of empty conceit. And not, not all versions have the word empty in there, perhaps because you might think of it as redundant, because conceit by nature is empty. Because it's based on a, a self-evaluation that pumps and puts us up higher than we belong. But the problem with that is very simply, our standard, our standard is not the people around us. Comparison is dangerous. Our standard is Jesus. Amen. We should not be in the habit of comparing ourselves to others, whether we think that they're better than us or worse than us. Either way, we're getting in trouble because we've lost our focus. Right. We've taken our focus off of the only one that we compare to, and that's Jesus. And when we compare to Jesus, guess what? We don't measure up. There's no room for pride when Jesus is our standard. Then he goes on to say, consider everyone else more important than yourself. You get to be last. <laughs> but you know what Jesus also says? The last will be first. That's Humility is not the same thing as humiliation. It's not a self-deprecation. And it's not the false humility that's really designed to draw people's attention to you and make you look good. Because if the idea is to draw attention to yourself, you've already lost the battle. But when we finally come to the understanding that it's not really about us, it's not about how, what we look like, thank God, it's not about what you can do or what you can't do, and it's certainly not about what other people think of you. It's about Jesus. It's an attitude. I remember when this revelation came to me, I was going through a very rough time in my life. I had just gone through a divorce. I thought, well, everything is shot now. I'm, nothing's uh, can't be what I thought it was because you know now I've gone and ruined it. And, and I was really feeling sorry for myself, feeling bad about things. And that was when the Lord began to show me pride is not a thing that happens because you got something or you did something and now you're proud of it. Pride is an attitude in your heart that causes you to be focused on yourself and to grab at any little scrap of, of respect or any little scrap that you can get that, that somehow tells yourself in your mind that, that, you are, uh, that you're worth something. But that's not where your sense of worth should come from. Your sense of worth comes from the idea, from the reality that the God of the universe thought you were good enough to die for. Amen. The humble have nothing to prove. It's not because of their greatness, though they may achieve greatness. It's because they know who they are. 
He says, consider others more important than yourself. Amen. That's easy to do, perhaps, when the importance is obvious. Anyone would say, well, that person is more important. It's easier for us to to make that that deference when, yeah, it seems like they really are more important than I am. And we may do that willingly uh, because we have respect for them. I certainly have that for, for Pastor. I, I defer to him. I do what he asked me to do because I appreciate it. Because I think that he's worthy of that respect. Amen. That's easy for me to do. Or we might defer to somebody because uh, there's going to be consequences if we don't. Uh, like, like the boss at work, for example. Doesn't necessarily matter what we think of him, we're going to do what he says, or, or we're going to defer to him because he's got the power of the paycheck. Right. I, I don't imagine there's much chance, but it's, it's vaguely possible since uh, uh, my boss is a Christian that he could maybe listen to this someday, so I need to add that I, I do like my boss. <laughs> It's more of a challenge when somebody appears to us to be lesser than us or even to be equal to us. Then jealousy really kicks in because we think somehow that they, they don't deserve the position that they have. That there's some reason why they shouldn't have it. So then we become angry, we become jealous because somehow they... Uh, they don't, they don't deserve that. It's harder then for us to put ourselves in this position that, that Paul was saying and, and, and say, consider them more important than yourself. Somebody we see as less capable, less appealing in some way, maybe less intelligent, consider them more important than yourself. And even harder than that is somebody that's actually done wrong. Getting qualified. And maybe that level of respect and deference that you offer will be the thing that brings them around. He says, look beyond your own interests. In other words, this is not a it's not a, a passive thing. It's not, oh well, I'm just gonna do my thing, you can do yours, fine. No, he's saying actively look out. For the interests of others, not just your own. Mm-hmm. Not bad to pursue your own interests. That's fine. It's just not okay to stop there. Be looking out for other people too. And then he goes on to tell us how Jesus is our example. Amen. And what an example. Because he was and is God. Amen. One and the same with the holy God of all creation. He existed in glory from the very beginning. He is, in fact, the source of creation. You can read that in John chapter 1. He is infinite in reach and power, and yet he became a human being. 
showed up on earth as a helpless, crying baby. I just can't. Every time I think about that, it just overwhelms me with amazement that God did that. The difference between us is so broad that you can't even comprehend it. And yet, He came. He did not conceal His nature from us, but yet, He did not exert his, his authority in a proud way. In fact, what, a place that really illustrates, I think, uh, who Jesus was and, and the, the confidence and yet the humility that he had is the story of the foot washing in John chapter 13. Amen. And again, I'm just going to read it. I didn't put it on the screen. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside His garments, and taking a towel, He girded Himself. Then He poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. How is it that Jesus was able to do this? That's what John is telling us here. He is able to do this because he is absolutely certain of who he is. He doesn't need to lord it over them. He doesn't need to prove to them anything. He knows who he is. Because he knows who he is, he can take the lowest position. Because he knows who he is, he can say, all right, now I've shown you an example. You go and do the same. It's in, in, in verse 15. Now today, it's going to take a little bit different form. I know that some people uh, actually practice foot washing services. Uh, and I know Priscilla has done that here uh, I'll just, I'll just be perfectly honest. That absolutely makes me just about as uncomfortable as anything we can do. <laughs> but maybe that's the point. But today, it might take other forms. Nobody really needs to have their, their feet washed so much this, today. But they do need things that typically are done by people who are servants. They might need their house clean. They might need the yard mode. They might need uh, the kind of care that uh, one particular you know gets done in a, in a nursing facility. But those are the things that might be equivalent to what Jesus did. And no, notice nobody else did it. They all came in there together, and they, they already. Uh, apparently set up for supper and uh, you know reclined. Nobody else did it. Jesus had to get up and do it. But it was an opportunity for him to teach. And for us to see that when you know who you are, you can be humble. And he took that all the way to the cross. He submitted to those who hated him. He died for those who would disobey him made himself least 
though he was in fact the greatest. He chose to give himself. And it was his choice. John 10, 18 says, I've got the power to lay it down. I've got the power to take it up. Talking about his life. And he had the power at any point to call the whole thing off. In Matthew chapter 26, when the disciples are fighting back, he said, don't you know all i got to do is call? And he'll send a, a, a host of angels to rescue me? But then how's it going to happen? How's the scripture going to fulfill? How am I going to do what I came to do if I do that? And by, because he did that, he gained the reward. He gained his reward. And we worship him today. And those who love him will be with him in eternity forever. And that is what God wanted. Our motivations matter. I think why we do things is at least, if not more important, than what we do. And so we need to examine the why of what we do. And we need to shape our actions accordingly. Pride is, I think, Satan's most dangerous tool that he uses on us. And just like everything else, he is the deceiver. He's the father of lies. Our pride has no basis in reality because our standard is Jesus. And it will lead us, just as the proverb said, it will lead us to destruction. But when we're humble, because we know who we are, the humble have nothing to prove. And humility will lead us to Jesus. Amen. So let us live our lives that way. And again, I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody. Put others first. We're all the same in His family. And He is our example to live by. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing us with that example. Teach us, Lord, how we are to live in a way that glorifies your name, that brings everyone who will come. In Jesus' name.